Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,955. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado, with a very special guest by the name of John Kosnick. John, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Yes, I'm ready. All right, we're going to have some fun. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, John? Well, uh, my passion is uh, rock climbing. In fact, uh, just prior to this interview, I spent a couple of hours in the local gym here. No kidding. My son and his wife love to go, they call it bouldering. They do some rock climbing. They've done a little bit with the rope stuff if they get too high off the ground. As my neurosurgeon friend tells me, once you get about five, six feet off the ground, you're into the danger zone if you fall on your head. So how serious are you into this rock climbing? I mean, are you doing some pretty serious tall stuff? So I, I've climbed routes up to 1,500 feet. Oh, wow. Certainly far from one of the best climbers, but I probably have more fun than most. Well, that sounds like fun. It's beautiful to get outside and you live in a perfect part of the world to get outside and enjoy nature. So uh, it sounds like you're having some fun in your retirement. But today we're going to talk about this incredible career that you've had uh, as basically a designer, engineer, and engines. So here we go. John Kosnick is an automotive industry veteran with over 40 years of experience. He's a retired chief technical officer for Acades Power, where his team has been responsible for the design and development of advanced diesel and gasoline-opposed piston internal combustion engine. He worked at Ford Motor Company for 30 years, where he held numerous roles, most recently as director of North American Diesel, where he led engineering and business responsibilities for Ford diesel offerings within North America. He was also the chief engineer responsible for all of Ford's V6, V8, and V10 engines. Following his time at Ford, he was Senior Vice President of Construction Equipment, Product Development at Case New Holland, and Director of Development at FEV Inc., an engineering and consulting company. John also co-chaired a recently completed National Academy consensus study entitled Powering the U.S. Army of the Future. He's also a member of the National Academy of Engineering, elected in 2016 based on his work in engine design. We'll be back in just a minute to learn a lot more about engines and John's career, but first a word from our valued sponsor. So give a little listen and we'll be right back. My friends at Covercraft offer you 10 different options. That's right, 10 for your vehicle's protection. You can choose from WeatherShield HP, HD, Sunbrella, Ultratect, Reflect, FormFit, Custom View Shield, and their newest five-layer all-climate cover, three-layer moderate climate cover, and a five-layer indoor option. You have all sorts of ways to protect your car. All of these are custom-tailored by Covercraft's talented craftspeople. It's the form and fit with the quality to attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Surface protection is the best way to preserve the investment you've made in your vehicles. It's what I do. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. 
I have a Covercraft cover for every one of my vehicles. And I've got a deal for you. If you use the code YEAH21, Y-E-A-H-21, at Covercraft.com, they'll give you 10% off your order, plus you get free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Just use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day, and he asked me about American Collectors Insurance. He said, while I listen to you on Cars Yeah, you're always talking about agreed value collector car insurance. Well, I insure all my cars on my regular auto insurance policy, and I've done it for years. Why use a different company for my collector cars? I get a multi-car discount. Isn't that good enough? I suggested he call his carrier and ask how much he would get if his collector car was totaled are stolen. He called back and said, boy, that was a scary conversation. Their value of my car wasn't even close to what it's really worth. Thank you for the education, Mark. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you receive with an agreed value policy. American Collectors Insurance has been protecting enthusiasts since 1976. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 866- 224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green's at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. They're the ones that insure my car. That's American Collectors Insurance. All right, John. So we're going to dive a little deeper into this career that you've had in You could probably talk about what you've done in this incredible career for hours and hours. I've taken some talking points that you sent me prior to our discussion today, and I'm going to kind of touch on these because they're very fascinating because I know you have a lot of really strong opinions on what is going on in the engine world and so forth. So let's first talk about where you see the automotive industry going and the course is being set. And one of the things that you tease me with is, it's not going to be 100% electric. So touch on that a little bit, because right now everybody's talking EV, 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 but there's no way we're going to be able to make that transition very quickly. That's the scary part, Mark. You hear all the hype about electric vehicles, fully battery electric, and they're a great technology. And definitely we need more to address climate change, which is a very real threat. However, they're not going to work for everybody. They're going to work. Let's talk about where they work best. If you have a garage, like my wife and I do, you can charge them overnight. If you uh, don't have a garage and you travel long distances, j- just do the math. And most people don't do the math. The The Tesla S is an 80 kilowatt battery. And most charging stations level three that you find outside are uh, 50 kilowatts. So 80 kilowatt hours divide it by uh, 50 kilowatts, it takes close to an hour and a half to recharge. Now, are people going to want to uh, go to Starbucks, uh, go to uh, the shopping center where they may or may not find an open uh, charger and wait all that much time? It'll work for some. It won't work for all. I I had a plug-in hybrid that I thought was great because it let me uh, charge overnight in my garage and I got uh, most of the, tr- the trip to and from work. It was great. I'd fill up every six weeks or so. But it's not, not for everyone. And I really think 
that other technologies like fuel cells with hydrogen, you can fill up with hydrogen in the same amount of time as you can with uh, gasoline. I also think that uh, hybrid technology, which increases fuel economy like like 25 to 30 percent, is going to be the mainstream of cars in the future. And we really need to start developing uh, sustainable fuels, you know, biodiesel, there's e-fuels, there's algae-based fuels, there's uh, uh, a whole host of uh, opportunities where we could get the climate change benefits now uh, developing those fuels. And people say, no, no, the cost penalty is a factor of three. But hold on. Look at batteries. Their cost factors come down by a factor of 10 in 10 years, and people expect them to come down uh, at the same ramp rate in the future. So tell me, why can't we develop uh, sustainable fuels? And oh, by the way, aviation is going to require them because the, the, the difference in energy density per kilogram, per, per unit weight, is like 50 times for when you talk about a hydrocarbon-based fuel versus a, uh, a battery. Well, let's talk about hydrogen for a minute because I've had guests on the show, even a couple that are developing uh, that technology for use in automobiles. Why is it all these different options you're mentioning today? Most of us lay people outside of the automotive building injury industry don't hear any of that. It's just always EV, 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 EV. Why is that? I, I think that's a problem from a uh, politics standpoint, it's easy to say, hey, I have the solution. <laughs> sure. and all I need to do is implement. I, I actually heard uh, a, an NGO, a non-government organization, make that statement just on Friday saying, hey, this isn't about new technology development. It's about implementation. Uh, I, I know that one of the questions you ask is, what's your favorite book? My favorite book is How to Prevent a Climate Change Disaster by uh, Bill Gates. And it has the big picture. It, it says, of course, we got to do electric vehicles, but of course, we got to develop these other new technologies, many of which are nowhere near being implementable yet. You, you know, it's not just automotive. It's not just aviation. It's uh, cement. It's uh, steel producing, even agriculture. There, there's feeds that you can give to, uh, to, to cattle that reduce their greenhouse gas generation. Well, my wife said there's things I shouldn't eat that would reduce my <laughs> greenhouse gas emissions, but we won't go there. So I guess it's typical, especially when you get the government involved, is to follow the money uh, in many cases. So where they're supporting, for, for instance, they give tax benefits if you buy an EV car. Now, if you buy a hydrogen car, if you can even find one, or any of these others, are you going to get those benefits? So I always say capital goes where capital grows. That tends to be what happens. So it's it's discouraging to hear what you're saying. Is there some hope you can offer us today in that respect? I, I think that, uh, well, I, I, I'm hoping that through the National Academy of Engineering, we can make a difference. I just recently completed a Powering the Army of the Future and yeah. pointed out some of the fallacies for battery electric vehicle, ground combat vehicles. That, that are being uh, suggested by some think tanks, by the automotive press. But, but let me share with you this. Toyota is saying that by 2030, they anticipate 85% of their sales will still have internal combustion engines, mostly hybrids. Mm -hmm. But when you look at, you know, why is GM saying they're going uh, all battery electric vehicle or 
Why is Ford saying eventually we're going to get there as well? You just look at the marketplace. Rivian uh, just had an IB, uh, IPO, <laughs> and their market cap exceeds that of uh, Ford Motor Company and GM combined. They haven't sold a vehicle yet. <laughs> yeah, it's, in, it's incredible. And, and, and Tesla is carrying a price-earnings ratio, last time I looked, of uh, 1,500. Yeah. You know, you're talking about 10 or 12 for, uh, for Ford or GM. So I don't blame Mary Barra or Jim Farley for telling everybody that uh, it's going to be all electric because their job as CEOs is to ensure that they're increasing shareholder value, that the stock price. And right now, there's an irrational focus on all battery electric vehicles. And it's easy to say, I have the solution. But no, there's so much work that still needs to be done in so many areas. Most definitely. I look at just, for instance, my next door neighbor, we were talking about it over the fence this weekend. He has a ranch out in the country. He drives a Ford Raptor. He's retired. He drives out there every other weekend or so. And he said, I couldn't do that with an electric vehicle. I, I would get out there and then there's no, he's on a ranch where there's no power except for a little generator to run his little Airstream trailer. He goes, I'd have to charge my car for three days with that little tiny thing to, to be able to get home. And then if I tried to come back home, I'd only get down the road a few ways and there's nothing out there. I'd be stuck. It won't work for me based on what it's doing now. So, you know, the other thing that you mentioned before we, we got on uh, this podcast today is a widespread misconception about the state of powertrain engineering uh, among people, as you say, who should know better. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. So when we were doing this uh, National Academy study, we sent it out to a number of reviewers. And these were supposedly people who should know better. And some of the comments we got were, I, I told you already how, you, you know, it's been a moonshot in terms of brake thermal efficiency for uh, heavy duty diesels. Mm -hmm. Some of the people were saying, well, you're limited by the Carnot cycle to no more than 25% brake thermal efficiency. So they had no clue what was going on. The Carnot cycle doesn't even apply since it's not a closed system. And uh, other, others were saying, well, diesels have been around for over 100 years, certainly there's been no, there's no more major opportunities for improvement. And okay, <laughs> right. electric cars have been around for over 100 years as well. Right. I'm not arguing against electric vehicles. We need them. But the, take the example that you just gave. But we, we used to have something at Ford called the occasional use imperative. So somebody can uh, probably get by with a compact pickup but they, have, they, they instead buy a full-size pickup, so they have four feet between the wheel wells, and they can put in a four-by-eight sheet of plywood that they maybe use once every three years. They need that capability once every three years. Or, or people could get by with an escape, but uh, they'll buy an expedition for the once-a-year uh, vacation trip that they take. So if you have a family fleet, one vehicle, and you got a garage, one vehicle should be electric. That's not the vehicle you use on your vacation trip where you're driving a thousand miles. That's, that's what you use for around town. And these are the considerations that are not really getting thought through when people are saying, oh, uh, by 2030, I'm going to be 100% uh, electric. 
Exactly. Well, and then you got a guy like me who's always driven Porsche 911s and BMW <coughs> M3s. And I've had people say, that's the most impractical car in the world. Why do you have that car? I said, because right. I like it and I want it. And why would I commute every day in a car that I can't stand? Because I'm a car guy. So yeah, it's there's so many different facets here to this incredible thing. You know, I like to ask people about influences, what I call driving inspirations or influential people, mentors in their lives. When you were at Ford, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna name off a couple people here. Some of the the senior leaders you worked with in your career: Edsel Ford. Okay, there's a name. Bob Tasca, uh, Red Poling, Max Jurasek, Bob Lutz. Yeah. There's a good one. Uh, Lou Ross, Jack Nasser. There's another one. Sergio Marchioni. Interesting character. So. We don't have enough time to talk about all of them, but I may have you come back to talk a little bit more because I think you and I could talk forever. Pick out one very interesting, influential person and maybe share a little story about that character. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Hard to choose. <laughs> my uh, mentor at Ford, my most important mentor, I had a number, was uh, a fellow named Jim Clark. And he was responsible for bringing overhead cam engines into the U.S. industry. They, they were frequently used in Europe, and they allow you to spin the engine faster, generate more horsepower. He, he and I actually came up with what he calls the, the cup of coffee engine. It was the modular V8. Uh, he, he had already designed a 4.6 liter engine that was produced at Romeo, and we were looking at uh, upgrades to the 5 liter to the 5.8, to the 7.5, to emissionize them. And he said, John, I got what you need. This is why we were having a cup of coffee in, in, in the cafe there. Uh, he said, uh, let's add an inch of uh, deck height to the 4.6, make it a 5.4. And then let's add two jugs to the V8, make it a V10, make it a 6.8. So we saved all sorts of money, had great low-end torque because uh, we had a longer uh, stroke to bore ratio. Uh -huh. It ended up being a $1.5 billion uh, Windsor engine plant. Uh, we originally proposed it for, for I think it was uh, 600000 And before we even started production, it was 850000 a year. Wow. Jim was a very colorful character. At Ford, there were just tons and tons of skunk works. And uh, Don Peterson was his mentor, and he would jump through the ranks and every so often, you know, do skip massive skip level to uh, to go visit Jim. And he would say, well, what do you think you can do to improve the uh, Mustang performance? And Jim would describe it. And he'd say, yeah, we should do that. And then Jim would give him the keys. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, this goes all the way back to, say, Carol Shelby. Go build some you know, in an airplane hangar over there, build some GT350s or, I mean, all these different things. You talk about the movie that recently came out about Carol Shelby and Ford uh -huh. and racing, you know, yeah, go build some race cars over there and let's see what happens. That seems to be a cool thing. You know, those V10s back in the prior company that I was running, we had a, a work or a business truck that had that. It was a big F350, I think. Maybe it was, uh -huh. maybe it was 350. It had the V10 uh, motor in it. And I remember a friend said, 
because I love Formula One racing. He goes, just like the Ferrari. So the license plate on that trunk was Ford Ari. (laughs) And we took all the Ford emblems off and put Ferrari emblems all over the truck. And I can't tell you how many times I would be in that truck, maybe bring it home for a weekend project or something. Go to, you know, instead of having a truck that I'd use once every three months, I had one at work. So I'd bring it and go buy that lumber. I remember a lady once walking up going, is that really a Ferrari truck? I go, yeah. Yeah. She goes, I'm going to tell my husband. He'd love to have one of those. Now, I'm sure they're still arguing over their Thanksgiving dinner about the Fordari that she saw in the parking lot. But how fortunate were you to work with these people? I mean, incredible. There were a lot of really good times and uh, very, very colorful place. That, that, that V10 I mentioned, Jim Engelhart was the uh, head of product development when they introduced the F-Series with the modular engines. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to do the Super Duty as a separate entry. And uh, that was going to get the V10 as well as a diesel. And uh, Jim Engelhart told Bob Connect, who was the vehicle chief engineer, he says, if I find out the 6.8 liter V10 fits within the F-150, you're fired. (laughs) And... uh, Bob never told them, but it did fit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it sounds like it. You know, my neighbor I was mentioning to you, he's been a Ford truck guy his whole life. Always had big diesel trucks. He's a big guy. He's just not comfortable uh-huh. driving small cars. And he's a retired pilot now. When he decided to finally get rid of this diesel truck, 250 that he had, he loved this thing. Tons of miles. He went and drove the Raptor. And I was really surprised because he came home with a new Raptor. And and then a year later, he went to that Raptor school they were doing out there in Utah. Uh-huh. And they talked him into trading his Raptor in for another one. And he is not the kind of guy that trades a car every day. He keeps cars for, you know, 15 years. And then he bought another one. And he let me drive it. And I tell you, that's not like driving any truck I've ever driven. And when he, get, <laughs> when he gets it out to his ranch and he beats on that thing, he comes back and it is covered in mud. He's not like me, Mr. Clean. He uses his vehicles. He just loves that truck, just loves it. And I, when I drove it, it was icy and cold. I couldn't believe how well that thing handled. It didn't drive like a truck. So you guys at Ford doing some magical stuff. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about a challenge. I'm sure you've run up against a few of those. So sit tight and we'll be right back. Did you know that Cars Yeah! is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership according to Lipson? the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States. That's right. And Cars Yeah! is the only five-day-a-week automotive-focused podcast for you to get your message into the ears of thousands of listeners daily from all over the world. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah! is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars Yeah! has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah! every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion, 
and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. Okay, John, we're back. So I want to talk about something that we talked about before we got on here, and that's how uh, what you call, and I would call them this too, shyster law companies that are winning major lawsuits against automotive companies that really don't have any merit. And it's easy. We see this as general population of picking on the big guys. Yeah, go after them. They're to blame. I mean, we see it all the time. Everyone wants to blame somebody for something. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on this, because I know you have some very strong opinions on it. Well, I can give you an example. Okay. 2003 to 2006, I was the director of North American Diesel. And the organization was brand new. We created it from the ground up when we saw that there were a number of problems at launch. EPA emission regulations on diesel, uh, you know, bringing down the emissions were quite, quite technology forcing. And GM, Ford and Chrysler all had problems. In fact, GM had to recall all of their injectors uh, that they initially uh, put out. Chrysler had problems with turbochargers. The power stroke uh, was actually one of Ward's top 10 engines in 2003. And uh, over the course of uh, three years, we reduced the number of repairs per thousand uh, vehicles by 90%. We improved customer satisfaction by 15 percentage points. We actually, in terms of things gone wrong, were better than the, the Chrysler Cummins in uh, 2005 which was put into the RAM. This is their their ISB. But Ford lost a case. I think that not enough homework was done uh, in defending uh, against a lawsuit. But that individual actually had a Gale Banks uh, aftermarket upgrade kit, which increased the horsepower by 115 horses. Uh, by the way, that engine was already best in class by like 50 horsepower versus the GM and Chrysler comparison. And they they upgraded things that were easy to upgrade, like the air induction system, but they didn't take care of the uh, head bolts, which uh, were not designed to take those increased cylinder pressures. They didn't upgrade the uh, oil cooler. So I look at that. If you design a product for a uh, – uh, you design a, a bookshelf, for instance – Told 40 pounds and somebody puts 80 pounds on it. Who's who's responsible for the failure? But uh, uh, somehow that case uh, was lost in court. And I'm actually talking to the Ford lawyers 20 years after I left Ford or 15 years after I left Ford to uh, set the record straight. What happened was Ford had a lawsuit lawsuit about international because they eventually wanted to produce those engines themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they would put everything out in the worst possible light. Uh, s- some of the facts were questionable that they they raised. Uh, and, and, of course, the warranty was higher, but the the, the, the function of the truck was much higher. And uh, it's, it's something, looking at some of the EPA reports more 
recently on uh, aftermarket tuner kits uh, for uh, the power stroke. And there's like seven out there right now. Mm-hmm. It's like a 10, 15 percent mix. So people do this. And, and some of them, like uh, Bully Dog, they actually tell you, hey, you know, you're going to void your warranty. The durability won't be there. But uh, this in this one particular case, Ford lost. Um, they said, oh, no, we've done all sorts of durability testing. But when you look into the into their website, you find out that their durability testing consisted of 107 mile drive with the trailers in Southern California. Yeah, <laughs> so that's not quite right. But but people don't hear that. They, they hear the bad news and jump to jump to assumptions. Well, sure. And we see this in the aftermarket all the time with all sorts of cars that people want to modify and augment and change. And I always, I, I get why people want to do it. But at the same time, I go, you know what? Those engineers spend an awful lot of time figuring out the system that they're offering you. Aren't you risking some things here for a little more horsepower? Okay, I get it. But at the same time, how can you hold them liable for when you start messing with that? Because if they had done that internally, they would have figured out it didn't work and the engines blow up earlier. They don't last as long. So yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's really a shame when, when those kind of things happen. But again, everybody loves to pick on the big guy because they think the big guy has big wallet and it won't matter to Absolutely. him. And that's really, again, capital goes where capital grows, right? It's yeah. Chase exactly. the money for sure. You know, your life has been pretty incredible and You've got to play in your world of expertise and, and assuming from our talk today, your passion. Do you have any big bucket list items for moving forward other than uh, maybe climbing 3,000 feet instead of 1,500? Actually, I'm really passionate about climate change. And I got to find some way to add some sanity to uh, what's happening and yes, it's got to be electric vehicles, but it's got to be so much more. Yeah. I mean, sustainable fuels is something that is absolutely mandatory for aviation. It's mandatory for uh, to keep our armed forces, you know, ground combat vehicles at the state of the art so that we're protecting our war fighters right. and also acting as a major deterrent, you know, having an overmatched capability that um, is a deterrent. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> enables us to deter yeah. adversaries, your peer adversaries from taking us on. Right. So so I, I'd like to use my years of experience to help get a better direction in where we're headed. It's really all about clear communication and accurate communication because so much evolving around a state climate change, climate impact, whatever you want to call it, is a, an issue that's become so politicized that it shuts either side down because they just I think they're being lied to. And I think things the approach you're taking is very powerful and very good because using your expertise to explore options and share those options with people and show them, educate them what is available. Because as I said, you and I working in the automotive industry, we've heard of all these things. But you talk to the average Joe on the street and they look at you like you're crazy. Like, what are you talking about? There's, there's only these two options. That's all I've ever heard of. I, I can give you a, a perfect example. And, and I'll use something from the uh, Powering the Army of the Future study, that uh, I, I, a study that a consensus study I recently completed. So typically, you'll see pictures of uh, nine solar panels, uh, and then they'll show a picture of a convoy, and they'll say, which one of these do you want? 
okay, and they'll show you know like a hundred convoy trucks. Well, uh, this one this one that they that I saw had a trailer with five solar panels. So you get 400 watts from each. So you get two kilowatts over a, a typical day. You get uh, 12 hours of sunlight if you're lucky. So you got you got uh, 12 time, times two. So you got 24 kilowatt hours. Mm-hmm. Okay, which won't even power a uh, a Tesla S, which takes 80 kilowatt hours. And uh, they show the tanker with 100 tankers, and each tanker. Uh, when you look at the energy it has, it's 10,600 kilowatt hours. So, so y- y- you know, you look at this and, you, and, and if you don't do the math, and most people are not doing the math, of course not. which is a crime, uh, you say, oh, well, I, I'd much rather have uh, th- this clean energy than that. But, but come on. Right. Th- th- that's why I'm a big proponent of uh, sustainable fuels. There's got to be more work on that, but you don't hear that because it doesn't have the glamour of uh, the, of Elon Musk and Tesla and Rivian. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, do that, would you? Enlighten us. Get out there and do that, okay? Uh, <laughs> that's, right. that, that's what I'd like to do uh, in, in my retirement, and uh, I, I'm getting a chance to do it in a number of forms like this. Well, good. We will have you back and we'll talk exclusively more about that. I think that would be really, really fascinating. I would like to learn more about it. That's for sure. Hey, let's talk about a special vehicle in your life. Uh, You're a car guy. You're a truck guy. You're a diesel guy. Has there been one special vehicle in your life? And if so, what was it? And share a story about that ride. Okay. My favorite car of all time was a 72 Firebird with a 400 cubic inch V8. Uh, I added uh, speed rated uh, radial tires, and uh, I kept it for 104,000 miles. Wow. I, I, I will tell you that uh, it did not go over well with the uh, management at Ford when <laughs> I had a Pontiac. So my wife drove it uh, after I joined Ford, and uh, I was driving around in a 77 Thunderbird. <laughs> <laughs> You still stuck with the bird, though. As an executive Ford, you you got an e car, an executive car uh, that, that they changed every year, and then I had two lease cars all the time, and they typically had an optional third one. So typically, uh, my daughter would drive an escape four wheel drive. This is Michigan. My uh, wife would drive an. Uh, uh, Explorer four-wheel drive. I would drive an Expedition four-wheel drive, and my son would drive a Mustang GT. There you go. <laughs> Your son was having the most fun, I think. <laughs> not not the best in the snow. No. We have to go pick him up at times. Yeah, yeah, but uh, fun to slide around a little bit, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. You know, I had a Mustang. I've only had two American cars. I had my first car was a Chevy Nova. It's an old grandma car I had for a short term. But I did have a 66 a clone of a Shelby GT350 that a guy and his dad built had the right engine in it, 289. I mean, that thing ran like a sewing machine. It was just spectacular, loud, obnoxious. All my, I woke all my neighbors up every morning when I left early for work every day. It was a delight, but it was a little, a little spooky when it got icy or real wet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I finally uh, let it go. But I kind of, I always think back to that car. It was just, you couldn't get gas without having a long conversation with somebody about Mustangs. I mean, that car is just, everybody has a Mustang story. Now, I'm going to be your car psychologist today, John. I'm going to crawl into your skull. So sit back on the couch, kind of think this through. If you were manifest 
as a vehicle. This isn't what you want to be. This is you, your personality, the man in the mirror as a vehicle. What would John be more importantly? Why? Wow. Tough question. But I, I think, I think I would uh, lean towards being a Ford super duty with a power stroke diesel. Okay. Uh, just all sorts of uh, torque and power and get any job you want done. I like it. Okay. Yeah. I, that makes sense after what I've learned about you today. Absolutely. Now we mentioned, uh, you mentioned early on, and I always ask my guests about a favorite book. Is there one in your library that you can uh, share with the listeners you think they should open and read that one you mentioned about Bill Gates or by Bill Gates? So, certainly. Uh, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster by Bill Gates. Very, very well thought out. And the key point there is we got a lot of work to do. We got to do everything that right now is implementation ready, but it's certainly not enough. The other the other book I thought was really good, and it's not automotive related, was uh, 2034. It's about uh, World War III with some very realistic scenarios. Uh-oh. I don't want to hear about that. 2034 isn't <laughs> far away. <laughs> Let's try to avoid that. Let's work on avoiding any more world wars with anybody. That would be good. Absolutely. Holy cow. Well, let's go on to ultimate drive because I have the magic ability for you to get into any vehicle, to be going anywhere with anybody, anyone living or deceased on any road in the world. What does that ultimate drive look like for John? So, Mark, I had that ultimate drive. Oh, lucky you. What was it? When we had a management meeting of Case New Holland. Remember, I was on the construction equipment side. There's also the ag side. It was in uh, Modena, uh, Italy, where we uh, make tractor loader backhoes. Uh, and uh, as a reward, I mean, we were knocking the uh, sales out of the ballpark. Sergio Marchione took the entire uh, management team to Boloco, which is the uh, test track for Ferrari and Maserati. And uh, it was really cool because we had the development engineers uh, take us around uh, the test track at, you know, doing wild things, including four wheels skid. And then we were allowed to drive it ourselves. I mean, we were pitifully deficient to what the development drivers were doing, but it was a lot of fun. What kind of cars were were you in Ferraris and Maseratis? What were you driving? Yeah, exclusively. Wow. And, and, And at the time... So this would have been uh, 2007, 2008. Uh, It was cars that weren't even yet in production. That sounds like fun. Always good to go thrash someone else's sports car. That's for sure. (laughs) Not worry about the tires or transmissions or brakes. Just go out and have some fun. Oh, my gosh. That sounds like a very cool ride. Well, you've taken us on a fascinating journey today, and I'd really like to have you back sometime. I think there's a lot more you could share with us and inspire us with. Before I let you go... Could you maybe leave us with some words of inspiration, a mantra, success quote? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I think one of the things that is sometimes missing and shouldn't be is you should always show respect to everybody. No exceptions. And uh, I also think people need, they often knew what the right thing to do is and they don't do it sometimes. And do the right thing. And then the last piece of advice I'd give is uh, I call it don't count the nickels. But what it really means is you're going to see injustices here or there. You know, somebody got something that you thought you should get, but uh, don't count the nickels. The, the, the big picture, 
are, are you moving forward or, or are you doing something that you shouldn't be doing? Great advice. I love every one of those. Absolutely. Most importantly, show respect to everybody. Yeah, if only everybody would do just that one little thing, that would sure be nice. Now, since you're retired, I assume there is there any ways that people follow along with you or um, are you kind of hidden away from that and just work on special projects along with your rock climbing? I'm working on a number of uh, special projects. Uh, are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. That'd be a good way to contact me. Okay. Well, let's do that. Yeah, well, let's do that. And uh, and I meant it when I said it. I'd love to have you come back as you get involved with some of these special projects and share some more uh, inspiration with us and technology and, and all the different things you've shared with today. Uh, I think I could talk with you for hours. And I want to do a big shout out to uh, a mutual friend of ours, past a guest, uh, Shauna McIntyre. She spoke so highly of you, John, and she said, you've got to get him on the show. And you know what? All she did is reach out and here we go. So uh, you're a man of action. <laughs> That's for sure. I really, really appreciate that, Shauna. John, thank you for sharing some time with me today. Uh, your expertise and your history. There's a lot more to come from you, I think. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you either on a rock somewhere or down the road. <laughs> it was my pleasure, Mark. This was great. Thank you so much. I'm honored to say that my charity of choice here at Cars yeah? is TechForce Foundation. They help young people find an education and career that aligns with their passions. For those who love cars, problem solving, and working with their hands, a career as a professional automotive technician is the perfect fit for a fulfilling life. We're all wired differently, and not every successful career demands a four-year university. Technical education and the skilled trades matter, and we need qualified skilled technicians to keep our vehicles rolling. Learn more about how you can support tomorrow's driving force and workforce of technicians at techforce.org, like I do here at Cars Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!